And uh, I think there's uh, Becky had some extra calendars if anybody needs one. They're kind of up floating around and available if you need one. But they send me a number of them at the church. I don't need any more for sure. But anyway, well, good to see you all tonight. I'm uh, wondering what you want to talk about tonight. And, and actually, I don't care what you want to talk about. We're going to talk about God. How about that? That's why we're here, right? Yeah. In fact, I read it, and I think you probably did recently too, right? Uh, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. Ah, the name of the Lord shall be praised. That's why we're here. That's right. So anyway, let me lead us in prayer, and then we'll get into our study. We are on uh, Lesson 21 tonight, uh, True Worship, and... Uh, that's a great topic. So let's, uh, let's ask the Lord to bless our, our study together. Lord God, we do thank you for the, the privilege to know you, to study you and your ways. And, and uh, Lord, what an awesome person you are. Uh, just to know you is to worship you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bless our study tonight. Again, we thank you for the freedoms that we yet enjoy. And uh, pray that uh, you would be glorified in our assembling, in our sharing around the things of God this evening. Commit this time to you now, pray in Christ's name, amen. Okay, well, just to kind of get our thoughts going here a little bit, um, my question tonight is this, why was humanity made in the image of God, do you suppose? Okay, that's a very good answer. We were made for the glory of God. Um, let me ask it this way, um, how do we do that? We praise him. That's right. Obedience. Obedience. Yep. Anything else? All manner of service, right? I mean, there's all kinds of ways that, that we, can, we can do that. But uh, we really were created to know God. That's why he made us in his image. You know, we know God in ways that dogs don't, Right? I hope you all agree with me on that. <laughs> As we were made to know God and to worship God. We, we, we were designed to be worshipers. And in fact, you know what? People are worshipers. It's just a matter of what they're going to worship. We were designed to be worshipers. God made us that way. Uh, what's the first commandment? Right. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. What's the great commandment? Lord, love the Lord your God. How? Heart, heart, soul, mind. You're right. Right. You know what those things are really about? They're about worship, right? These are the great commands to worship, really, related to worship. They're worship commands. That's what they are. So, um, you know, as you think about. Uh, what the Bible has to say, uh, the new covenant is what it's all about as we work forward in progressive history. And what is the new covenant about, do you suppose? I'm thinking relationally. Uh, what's the new covenant about there? Well, in Jeremiah chapter 31, God says, under the new covenant, I will be their God and they shall be my people. You know, I think we read those things and it's like, okay, well, yeah. It's, we just kind of write off as 
not that significant, but that's a really huge deal. In fact, uh, the final end of the book says, in Revelation 21.3, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. It's kind of like the, the closing statement of the book on what eternity is going to be all about. What, what do you think that relationship's all about? He is our God, and we is, are his people. Uh, what's, the, what's the relational connection there? Well, I submit to you, it's about worship. It's why we were created in the first place. We are going to be acknowledging him as our God. To, to acknowledge him as God, really, biblically, is to worship him. Uh, thou shalt have no other gods before me is a, a worship statement. Uh, recognize me as, as God alone. Okay, well, uh, let me read here uh, the opening, uh, kind of the prelude to the study here, under uh, True Worship on page 145. Worship properly recognizes God for who he is and for what he does, with reverent allegiance from the heart. Worship honors God supremely above all. Worship reflects itself in lifestyle obedience and service, expresses itself in dependence, joyful adoration, and thanksgiving. Worship sees God as supreme and glorious and loves him for who he is. Worship can be both individual and or corporate. Uh, human beings were created to worship and glorify God. Kind of a long introduction, but uh, how do you get your arms around this? You know, you don't very easily. That's kind of seen in my <laughs> ramblings here, trying to get my arms around a little bit. But let's get into the study. God alone is to be worshipped. Uh, when, according to Psalm 113.3, is the Lord to be praised? Boy, I know you're going to get this one if you don't get any of the other questions, right? From to the going down of the same, which is another way of saying all day, all the time. That's right. All the time. What about the night? We sleep. We're sleeping at night. So, and you know, it's, it's, it's day always somewhere. Well, it's the most spiritual answer I could come up with on the fly. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's right. Uh, I think we probably, if we have other verses, probably relate to the night too. But anyway, yeah. Uh, the idea is uh, all of our waking hours, you know, God is to be praised. That's the idea. Okay, uh, what does the first commandment in Exodus 20 verse 3 reveal about worship? To say it's a worship emphasis, I think, ultimately. What does it reveal about worship? Which is to say, and he's the only one. <laughs> he's number one and he's the only one. That's right. Thou shalt have no other gods. Uh, the idea of, of a, a god is that which is worshipped, really. You see that through the scriptures. No, no other beings to be worshipped, no other gods before him. So uh, he is uniquely God. He only is God and worship is reserved only for him. No other gods. Gods are things you worship. We see that all the way through the Bible. No other being is to be worshipped except for the God of the Bible. Okay, uh, in Matthew uh, 4.10, which is uh, Christ quoting out of Deuteronomy 6.13, in Matthew 4.10, what did Jesus reveal about worship? Yeah, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So that's right. Uh, this is a, an issue of worship in the sense that it is to be uh, expressed uh, not only in, he says, uh, uh, God is to be worshipped, but him only shall you serve. 
Why do you think he throws that in there? I mean, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. I mean, I really think he's qualifying the idea of, of worship a little bit. Because to worship God is to serve him. We see that consistently again uh, through the scriptures. And so uh, strong emphasis there, again, on only God is to be worshipped and served in, in a worshipful sense. All right. Any other thoughts as we uh, finish out page 145? Yep. I just have to say, I've worried for a long time about going to heaven and worshiping day and night and 24-7. So I thought, I can't sing that much. So I'm glad to know these other, you know, that there's other ways to worship. Oh, for sure. I never yeah, I think worship is a lifestyle thing. It's honoring God in, in all that we do. And, of course, we do it imperfectly here. There's so many distractions. We all get off course a little bit here or there. But I think when we get to heaven in a glorified form where we don't have a sin nature anymore, it's really kind of hard to relate to how that's going to be. But I don't think we're ever going to get tired of it. Okay. Yeah, I don't think we're going to say, can, can I get out of here for a while? <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, you know, in his right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's, it's going to be his presence is fullness of joy. I mean, it's going to be an experience like none other. I mean, when Paul had his visit to heaven, you know, what did he come back saying? Well, to die is gain. It's a better experience than anything here for sure. So, yeah, we kind of cling to this life and all of its fallenness and all of its brokenness. Just imagine when we get there, we don't have any of that. We're certainly not going to want to be going anywhere else. Yeah, yeah, well, that's for sure. We, that's right. Okay, uh, let's go to the next page, page 146. Uh, in Revelation 19.10 and then 22, 8 and 9, what correction did the angel emphasize to John? Yeah, what did you say, Anita? Yeah, and, and uh, he points out there, worship is to be addressed only to God again. Uh, and so, yeah, and that's interesting. John had this problem a couple of times, had it in chapter 19, had it again in chapter 22. I, I imagine when you kind of are in the present, that kind of glorious presence, you, you, you just feel compelled to worship. What's interesting to me is in chapter one, John had an experience with Jesus too. And uh, when he saw the glorified uh, Christ, what was his experience? Did he sit up at attention? He fell at his feet as a dead man, right? And Jesus didn't say, you know what? Get up. <laughs> it's inappropriate. Uh, you know, and, and I'm, I'm emphasizing here that I think his experience with the angel was, was amazing. He felt like he wanted to fall down. In the presence of Christ, he couldn't help but fall down. And uh, so you see, as great as the angel's presence was, Christ's presence was even much greater, as we see in, in, in Revelation chapter 1. But yeah, uh, correction. And you'd think John, after the first time, would have realized, well, yep, can't do that. Now he needs again. You know, I just think it's just a powerful uh, experience there in the presence of the angel. Okay, how about Acts uh, chapter 10? In Acts uh, 10, 25, 26, what correction did Peter apply to Cornelius? Yeah. And what's, what was he doing? What, what did Cornelius do? Yeah, he fell at his feet to worship him. And, uh, of course, uh, Peter says, uh, uh, stand up. I myself am also a man. What's that tell us about a man? Don't worship a man. Yeah, I'm only a man. man men are not to be worshipped. And dare I say, women are not either. Oh, yeah, I'm just kidding. 
Uh, yeah, people. Uh, people are not to be worshipped. Uh, by the way, the idea of worship means to bow down before. I mean, it has several meanings depending on the, the word. There's a number of words used, even uh, Hebrew, Greek. But the basic idea is to bow down before. Uh, and, and what are you saying when you bow down before? Well, you are acknowledging uh, his supremacy. You are acknowledging uh, you have the authority over me. Uh, and you're acknowledging that uh, and submitting to that. So, uh, yeah. Um, okay. In Matthew fourteen thirty three, when Jesus calmed the storm, what did the, the disciples do? They came and they worshipped him. Well, what about a man? Was he a man? <laughs> there you go. What did they go on to say? They worshipped him saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So this was not just a man. Yes, he was man, but he was also God in a human body. He's the, he's the Son of God, which means he's of the order of God. By the way, what's this tell you? about that phraseology, son of God. They worshiped him, saying, truly you're the son of God. I'm getting at this because sometimes people say, well, Jesus is not God. He's the son of God. What's this verse showing us? And how so? Right, that's what we mean. But how do we see that in this in this verse here? What did they do? They worshipped him. And we've already established only God is to be worshipped. So what are they doing worshipping him if he's not God? Well, he was God. He's the son of God, which shows us that's a title for deity. It means he's of the order of God, of the nature of God. That's the idea of this title, Son of God. I, I say that because the cultists always want to zero in on that and say, well, yeah, he's a son of God, but he's not God. Well, yes, he is. Um, son of God means of the order of God. That's right. By the way, um, Jesus uh, calmed the storm and they came and worshipped him. That's really interesting because when you do a study of miracles, the apostles did miracles too, Right? What kind of miracles did they do? Healing. Healing. What else did they do? They they did physical healing miracles. They raised the dead, which is a physical healing miracle. A really big one. (laughs) The lame. Demons. They cast out demons. But let me ask you, did they do power miracles over nature? They never did those. This is unique to the ministry of Jesus Christ. He alone calmed the storm. We don't see the disciples say, well, we're going to calm storms over here today. Uh, They didn't do that. Only Jesus exercised power over nature in that way, which puts him on a worshipful level, certainly above anyone else. I mean, as as he is shown to be God in doing it. Only God can control the weather. Uh, And... uh, you know, only God can do these other miracles too. Uh, he did it through the, the apostles, but it, it sets Jesus apart in that uh, he alone did uh, nature miracles in that sense. All right, any other input? Yes. I think it's really interesting how being worshipped will also get you in trouble. <laughs> Right. It was being worshipped, and that was a sin for him. 
So I just always think of these angels not just saying, oh, you know, get up. Like, no, no, no. They really, like, don't do that because I'm going to get in trouble too. Yeah. That's that's a great point. Right. They did not want to be worshipped. Right. uh, Because they know probably, I mean, they know God is a jealous God. Yeah, and that's consistent with Peter too, with Cornelius, uh, Paul and Barnabas, uh, when they were, where was it, Acts 14, whatever. Uh, They're all like, no, 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 don't worship. Jesus is yeah, Which is what I love. you can say, guys, I too am a man. Don't worship me. No, 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 nothing like that. Anywhere in the Gospels, find him being worshipped on, on any number of occasions. And he accepted it, right? Absolutely. Great point. All right, uh, let's press on then. Uh, 21.2, uh, true and false worship. What was the contrasting distinction between Cain's worship and Abel's worship in Genesis 4, 2 through 5? I'm going to give you an A for the evening because of what you, because of what you caught there. God respected Abel and his offering. What about Cain? says the same thing. He didn't respect Cain or his offering. Uh, what's the idea, do you think, of putting uh, the person and the offering together? Ah, becomes a hard issue, right? It's, it's not just about what they brought even. It was the motives. It was the heart that was behind it. And what was the difference between Cain, uh, other than that, what we're talking about, the heart, but uh, in terms of... Uh, what was the difference between these two offerings? Pat? In Hebrews, Hebrews it talks about um, Abel's offering was made in faith. Right. So that must be an indication. Absolutely. And specifically, what was the offering? Verse 1, Right. We believe, it doesn't specifically say it was blood, but he brought what? Firstborn. Firstborn of his, of his flock. And, and what did Cain bring? Yeah, fruit. Right. <laughs> Maybe some other vegetables that weren't turning out so good that we're not going to use anyway. I don't know. But uh, yeah, he brought uh, the fruit. He was a tiller of the ground. And uh, Abel was a, a shepherd. And so we believe there that God had made it very clear the offering that he was requiring. That's clear as he goes on to describe to Cain, if you do what's right, uh, won't you also be respected? And he, and he would, but sin is lying at the door and wants to devour you. But uh, yeah, um, it was a matter of the heart here and it was a matter of doing what God had prescribed. Okay, um, what was uh, the problem with the worship of the people in Ezekiel 33, 31 through 32? What was, what was their problem? That's right. <laughs> it's a good way to put that. Only mouth deep. That's right. Uh, they hear your words, he says, but they do not do them. With their mouth, they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. So you're right. It was all mouth. It was all mouth. Uh, it, what's that? Lip service. Lip service. That's right. It didn't affect their lives. It was all just talk. And so, uh, you know, and it's in, interesting there too. He says, you know, you are as uh, one who can play well on an instrument, this kind of thing. It was almost like it was entertaining for them to come and, and see Ezekiel as he's preaching. Uh, it 
They were kind of looking for, uh, you know, seeker-friendly type stuff. <laughs> Makes us feel good. Uh, you know, it's kind of mu- amusing. But anyway, okay, any th- other thoughts before we turn the page? Okay, let's go to uh, page 147. <clears throat> In Isaiah twenty nine thirteen, what did God say about the worship of the people there? That's true. They had a heart problem. Uh, but what were they doing? They were drawing near, right? With their mouth. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's, that, that's your translation even? Okay. Well, <laughs> that sounded really good. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they, they were drawing near to God with their mouth, but their hearts were far from him. It is? Yes. What translation you got? New American Standard. Oh, wow. And their reverence for me consists of traditions worn by rote. Okay. Well, yeah. Merely external, right? And what's this tell us about worship, by the way? When it says here, uh, with their mouth, uh, they're drawing near to God, but their hearts are far, far from me. What's that tell us about the nature of, of true worship? It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Right. And, and God sees the hearts of people, right? Boy, people can go through the outward motions and think, boy, they're so spiritual. And, and just look how they love God. They're really putting on a show here. But the heart, you know, God sees the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Okay, um, in quoting uh, the Old Testament, what did Jesus expose about the people of his day in Matthew fifteen seven through 9? They were hypocrites. That's right. And uh, really kind of fulfilling, uh, further fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah that these people were drawing near with their mouth. But uh, Christ said uh, they were hypocrites. And again, the issue here is uh, worship. Uh, you know, if you're, uh, if you're really parading uh, everything the Bible stands against, whether it be uh, flagrant immorality, whether it be abortion, what do you think about you? you say, well, let's go to church and make a show today. Think that's a good idea? Uh, you know, one thing I see God hates is hypocritical worship. Uh, people say, well, the hypocrites are in the church. Well, <laughs> I don't think we've got a corner on the market. Uh, but when we do come to church, we surely should not come hypocritical. God does not appreciate it. Uh, he sees our hearts. Um, okay, what principle did Samuel stress to Saul in 1 Samuel fifteen twenty two? To obey is better than sacrifice. Right, and, and how might we translate that to where we're at today? How might we make an application? Obedience is better than sacrifice. Okay, so you might have somebody says, boy, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of redeeming myself, so to speak, <laughs> doing all of these stuff, so I'm very involved. But uh, what types of uh, obedience do you suppose God is looking for? Yeah, and what kind of obedience in our Christian life? What, what are some of the kind of big things we should be doing? In his word, having time with him. Okay, w- worship, being his word. Uh, how about loving one another? I, I have known people who could almost be hateful in how they treat fellow Christians, and yet, boy, they're doing this and they're doing that. I don't think God's impressed. Uh, obedience is better than sacrifice. And, and the new commandment he gave to us is to love one another uh, as he loved us. So, uh, you know, to me, it's kind of like, 
you know, whatever we're doing, if we don't have love, that's 1 Corinthians 13. So obedience is better than, than ritual, than sacrifice. Okay, um, we're halfway through the page. Any uh, input there? Any other input? Yeah. I just want to say, on that Yeah. Amen. For sure. Yeah. Well, and that's always the danger is we can get a, a head full of knowledge and, and is it affecting our hearts? Yeah, that's right. That's good. Well, thank you. Amen. Uh, okay. Uh, next question there, middle of the page. When people turn from worship of the true God, what then follows as found in Romans one twenty five? They exchange the truth for lies. And they worship creatures. creatures, not the There you go. And that's the, 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 the flows to that. They exchange the truth for a lie. Okay, we get rid of the truth of God. Now we're embracing the lie. And what fo- comes from that? Well, idolatrous worship. Uh, they worship the creator or the, the creature rather than the creator. And so uh, that's interesting how Romans one twenty five brings that out that uh, false uh, worship is the result of exchanging the truth for a lie. That, that seems to be the consequence. And that's why I say we were designed to worship. We're going to worship something. Uh, worship is, uh, you know, really kind of what you serve uh, with your life. And uh, so, yeah, we were made to worship, and the issue is what's it going to be? Okay, uh, next question. In an evangelistic context... What did Jesus emphasize with the Samaritan woman? Now you realize, this is a, I'm emphasizing, this is an evangelistic context. I mean, she's not a believer. He is really evangelizing her. And what did he emphasize? All of a sudden it goes to, where, where should we worship? Uh, the Samaritans are saying over here in this mountain, you Jews say in Jerusalem, where should, where's the right place to worship? And what did Jesus say to that woman? What did he emphasize to her? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And uh, what is God looking for? Yeah, but in the verse, <laughs> uh, the Father is looking for true worshipers. He's looking for true worshipers. It's kind of interesting. True worshipers. We're scanning the audience. <laughs> Where are they? True worshipers. That's what God the Father is looking for. So, uh, yeah, that's what he points out to her. And then uh, he points out, well, that gets into our next verse. So let me stop there. But, uh, yeah, God is looking for, for true worshipers. And I guess really what I want to say there is uh, in an evangelistic context, wouldn't you think he would just emphasize, you need to believe. I think the first act of true worship is when you believe. It's a recognition of God, of Jesus Christ as God, for who he is, as well as Savior, in a worshipful way. And that's why I think he's emphasizing uh, that to this uh, Samaritan woman here. True believers are true worshipers. Uh, okay, uh, and then the next question follows. Uh, what, according to Jesus in John four twenty four, qualifies as true worship? Worshiping in spirit and in truth. Well, now I'm going to ask you the question, right? 
What does that mean? I mean, we should get it down since uh, in order to worship, you have to do this. <laughs> yep. So, so, okay. Now we're to do it in spirit. Ah, I think that's what you're talking Remember what they're talking about? She wanted to emphasize location. He wants to say it's about the heart. It's not about where. It's a matter of the spirit, the spiritual realm. It's a matter of the heart, right? In spirit. And then what else? And in truth. Uh, how do you worship in truth? It lines up with God's word. That's right. And what else? There's two, I'd say there's two dimensions here. It lines up with God's word. That's right. You can be, uh, if it's not lined up with the word, it's not in truth. That's for sure. But the other thing is, I would say, in truth is sincerity, mm-hmm. genuineness. It's not a phony display that we've talked about before. So, yeah, it lines up with God's truth, and it's sincere from the heart. So you put that all together. Uh, it's a matter of the heart. Uh, it's sincere, and it lines up with the Word of God, lines up with God's truth. Uh, I mean, it is amazing what does pass for worship these days sometimes. I mean, people are falling over and crying out like dogs, and thankfully haven't gone to the level of cats yet, but it's coming. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but some of the stuff is like, you're kidding me? You call that worship? I mean, where do you find that in the Bible? I mean, I thought the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Uh, did I imagine that? Or is that in Galatians 5, 20, 5 uh, 23? 22, 23. Yeah. Okay. Any other thoughts before we move on? Okay. Plenty of thoughts, but none that want to be raised here publicly. Anyway, just kidding. All right. Page uh, 148, uh, top of the page, uh, to worship in truth aligns with God's truth uh, as found in Jesus, as we've talked about. Where does this begin as seen in Romans 10, 13? It begins where? Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right. I think it starts. Here. What does it mean to call on the name, on the name of the Lord? Yes, and you're expressing it from your heart, I think. You know, it's interesting. In verse 11, he emphasizes believing. And then in verse uh, uh, 12 and 13, calling. They go together. Uh, You know, calling is an expression of of believing. And the mouth tells on the heart. But it really begins with calling on the name of the Lord. And when we say the name of the Lord, what, what is the name? Well, that's the person. And that's who we're talking about. The name is his person, right? It's who he is. Uh, to call on the name of the Lord is to call on him for who he is. And who is he? In the verse, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, he's Lord, right? So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm overstating this perhaps, but yeah, whoever calls on the name, it's recognizing him as Lord. By the way, this is a context here. Uh, Romans ten thirteen is a quote from Joel chapter 2, verse 32 in the Old Testament. What's the context there? Do you know? Yeah, I know you didn't prepare for that question. The, the, the context in Joel 2.32 is the day of the Lord. And in that context, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
Uh, when is the day of the Lord? Tribulation period. Well, why did Paul stick it in here? I mean, this is a New Testament context in Romans chapter 10. Paul, what are you doing? Well, he's making a general statement here that applies to anybody. And that's really what I want to, where I'm going with this. Yes, it applies to the tribulation period. Whoever, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, and certainly it's true for Israel, but it's true of anybody. But the nature of saving faith is true in all dispensations. That's what I'm trying to say. It's true in the tribulation period. It's true in the church age. It's true in any age. Uh, a true saving faith recognizes God for who he is, calls on the name of the Lord. I think that's where true worship starts. And uh, it's a recognition, a recognition of his person. Okay, what characterizes all true believers everywhere as seen in 1 Corinthians 1-2? There's a number of statements there in, in that verse. Huh? Yeah, there is. Let's go down through it. What's one characterization? Yeah, he calls them uh, the church of God. That's corporately, right? Corporately. What else? They're sanctified in Christ Jesus. That relates to our position. What's the word sanctified mean? We're set apart. We're set apart uh, to God. And and, uh, what else? Called to be saints. Uh, What's the word saint mean? Holy one. That's right. And that relates uh, to us uh, individually, right? So Church of God corporately, saints individually. And uh, then what else? What's the qualifier that relates to all of these people that are called these things? Ah, that's right. They call on the name of the Lord, uh, Jesus Christ, as Lord. That's right. And, and he says that's true of those in Corinth uh, as well as uh, everywhere else. Uh, This is what defines the people of God. They are the sanctified. They are the saints. They are the church of God. They are those who call on the name of Jesus Christ as Lord. Okay. um, Middle of the page. uh, The true people of God are characterized by what in Philippians 3.3? Okay. Let me back it up just a little bit. We are the true... Circumcision. What in the world does that mean? You almost have to have a little bit of Jewish background to appreciate this. What did circumcision uh, represent? Yeah, it represented a covenant relationship, right? They were the people in covenant relationship with God. Paul says now, he's using that language to emphasize, we are the people in covenant relationship with God. We're in new covenant relationship with God. We're not under the old circumcision covenant. But we are in a covenant relationship with God. So he said, we're the true circumstance. We are those that are in true covenant relationship with God. The true people of God is what he's saying. And uh, then how does he describe uh, us as the uh, people in true covenant relationship with God? Who do what? Worship in the spirit. And I would take it as a small S now. There's a little debate. Do we take it as a capital S, Holy Spirit? Or as a small s, I take it as a, a small s because you really have a contrast between the spirit and the flesh. So probably the human spirit is in view here. So what would be another way of saying that? Who, who worship in the spirit. What's that? Yeah, yeah, that's right. 
Yeah, that's the idea, what we've been talking about. It's, it's a heart matter. And what else defines these people? They glory in Christ Jesus. Uh, how do you glory in Christ Jesus? What do you do? What's the idea of glory? Boasting. Right? We boast in Christ Jesus. We're not bragging on ourselves and what we've, we're, we've done to get to heaven, but we are bragging on Jesus, right? And what he's done. And how, what has he done? Well, just everything. <laughs> just everything. That's right. And uh, then what does he say? I love this last uh, qualifying phrase here. No confidence in the flesh. No confidence? None, right? Amen, sister. None. No confidence in the flesh. Uh, no confidence in human effort. No confidence in my accomplishments. No confidence in what I can do. No, I'm glorying in Christ. No confidence in me. That's uh, what true worship is all about. This is really what defines true believers. They worship in spirit. They glory in Christ Jesus. And they have no confidence in the flesh. I remember this. John MacArthur one day said, this is my favorite verse on salvation. I would have never guessed that he's going to pick that verse. But when you really understand what it's saying, who are those that are in true covenant relationship with God? They worship from their hearts and spirit. They glory in Christ Jesus. And they put no stock, no confidence in the flesh. These are true worshipers. These are true believers. This is a great statement in terms of what defines true saving faith. I, I think MacArthur's right on here. I don't know if you're going to find a better verse that will define the nature of saving faith than Philippians 3.3. 3. And it ties in that idea of worship. That's why I say true believers are true worshipers. If you're a true believer, you've crossed the threshold now. You're a worshiper. You have gone where Jesus wanted to take the Samaritan woman. And I think she did get there. <laughs> to be a true worshiper. Uh, to be a true believer is to be a true worshiper. Philippians 3.3. 3. Okay. Um, what is God's universal invitation in Isaiah 45.22? Look to God and all you ends of the earth and be saved. That's right. Um, it's not just for the Jews. All the ends of the earth are invited to look to God and be saved. Uh, even in the Old Testament, there was uh, an invitation given to whosoever will. Uh, look to, the, look to the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Look to the God of the Bible, uh, the God of the Scriptures, and be saved. That's right. Amen. That's right. And we see that idea of his godship coming up all the time in relationship to belief, in relationship to salvation, in relationship to worship. And I think that's a package that you can't divide, really. Okay, um, what kind of a response does Psalm 2, 11, and 12 call for from the world? What is God asking, the, not asking, really kind of telling the world they need to do there in Psalm? Repentance? Well, yeah, I think that's being described there. Uh, what's the language? What does he say to do there in Psalm? Yeah, embrace the sun, right? Kiss the sun, embrace the sun, which is a, a picture of, of homage, uh, lest uh, his wrath be kindled 
and, and you perish in, in the way. So, um, yeah. And then also uh, it uses the word trust there, right? Trust. Uh, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Uh, kiss the son, put your trust in him. How's yours read, Marianne? Are you there? There you go. That's the idea of trust. Yeah. And I love this reference because it emphasizes uh, two things. Uh, paying homage to the son, kiss the son, the old King James. What's yours say? Right. Okay. So I like this reference because it combines the idea of doing homage and taking refuge in him. And so I think we're talking about the nature of saving faith, which recognizes him as God and at the same time puts trust in him, uh, looks at him as our refuge. In other words, another way of saying Lord and Savior, right? Uh, You worship him. You pay homage You recognize him as Lord. You put your trust in him. Uh, He's your refuge. And when those two things combine, I think you're really talking saving faith, which is really a worship. Uh, And your translation had worship there, right? Started there. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Uh, Let's go to the last question here. And this one, uh, boy, we could really spend some time here, but we're just going to have to kind of give a summary here. What is the essence of Paul's warning concerning worship in Colossians 2, 8 through 23? Uh, A lot of things we could point out, pull out there. What are some of the things you pulled out? I got four things in particular I'm looking for, but uh, what did did you see there? Yeah, that's good. That's what I wanted you to do. Oh, well, that's, that's beautiful. I mean, that is the overall emphasis. What kinds of things can distract us? Uh, yeah. Yep. Uh, false philosophy, legalism, mysticism, asceticism. Uh, as far as headings, these are things that are really brought out there. But uh, yeah, I like what you said, Marianne. Would you say it again? What did you say? Yeah, and the idea here in Colossians is that in Christ we are complete. We don't need to do all these other things to somehow, oh, this, this will make me complete. No, Christ makes us complete. And I love what he goes on to say in the next chapter in Colossians 3.11. Christ is all and in all. I love that verse. Christ is all and in all. Boy. Uh, yeah, Colossians 3.11. You got it there? You're my reference person here tonight. Okay. What's the numerical standard say? You don't have to read the whole verse. I'm looking for the last part there. Yeah, there you go. Very good. Okay. Uh, Any other thoughts on that page? All right. Let's go on to the next page. Page 149. In Matthew 5, 23, 24, what principle of worship did Jesus bring out there? And then what? Then worship. That's right. If you're sitting there worshiping, remember, oh my goodness, I I really wronged brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. First go get right with your brother and then come and offer your gift, he says. So the principle is, yeah, uh, reconcile first and then 
you can worship in in an acceptable way. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you know the Bible says, "As as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men." You can't always, you can't determine what the other person's going to do. So there's all kinds of situations in life. Uh, take me for example. I have people that hate me for no good reason, <laughs> and I can't do anything about that. Now, now if I got a problem, and and you know, I don't want to say, "Lord, if there's something that I've done wrong, I, I want to be willing to get right no matter what." But there's, it's just inevitable. People are going to have issues and you can't help that but i think when you know you have really done something wrong to somebody now that's a different thing where you say well i'm but i'm worshiping god god said go get right and then you come and worship me in an acceptable way you know i think that's is that not what communion's all about examine yourselves that you might partake in a worthy man what's the context in first corinthians 11 well the context is the corinthians were doing what they were treating each other badly because of that, some of them were sick and some of them had even died. And he's saying, you know, you guys get right. Some of you are drinking all the wine before the others show up for communion. And, and we got a problem here. Uh, some of you are eating like, you know, you've never eaten before. And you're not saving any food for the poor people coming in later. And God's upset with this. You need to treat each other right. Then you can worship God in an acceptable way. So, yeah, there's the principle in Matthew 5. Reconciliation first, then sacrifice, then, then the offering, then the worship. Okay, what did Jesus warn will be the experience of many in Matthew 7, 21 through 23? They'll be turned away their false worship. Yeah. What did they, they say, though? Did we not? Yeah. Lord, Lord, have we not done all these wonderful things in your name? And we preached, we even cast out demons. We had a deliverance ministry over here, Lord, in your name. And, and what's Jesus going to say? I never knew you. And they had a lifestyle that was contrary to their profession. They said, Lord, Lord means master, master, master. He wasn't their master. He wasn't their authority. They weren't true worshipers. It was all just lip service. And uh, he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. All right. Uh, in spite of severe judgment, what defines the world's worship in Revelation 9, 20 through 21? We're in a context of the tribulation period here, uh, the coming judgment that will come upon the world in, in, the, in the book of Revelation. And uh, in spite of that severe judgment, what defines the world's worship? They're worshiping. They're still called worshipers, but what, what are they worshiping? Idols and demons. That's right. Um, and they refused to, to repent. Even after you know, God showing his lordship and these judgments are coming upon the world, they're still worshiping their idols and their demons. Is there a difference between uh, idol worship and demon worship? Well, yes. That's right. But what, I guess where, where I'm going with this is idols are nothing, right? I mean, an idol is not a true, a true God at all. But you know what? There are demonic entities behind these idols. And so I think that's a lot of times the attraction to idolatry. So how could you be so dumb as to worship something that's so lifeless? 
Well, there is power associated with these things, demonic power, demonic reality. And people get, there is a demonic influence, a darkness that enters in there. And that's where the world is found worshiping at this point. And I think that's why a lot of people are attracted to idolatry. Um, okay, uh, what is the response of those hardened against God in Revelation 16, 9? Isn't that interesting? Why are they blaspheming the name of God? I mean, if you're not a believer, why are you blaspheming a non-entity that doesn't even exist, that you don't even believe in? They know he exists, don't they? That's right. They're blaspheming the name of God who has power over these things. And uh, so the issue is what there? They refuse to submit. They refuse to submit to the true God. Uh, And uh, the the point is you can recognize the truth of God and yet not submit to it. You know, even the demons believe and tremble. We know that in James 2.19. Okay, uh, any other thoughts there before we move on to uh, 21.3? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's a form that's the same type of thing. They blaspheme right. they don't want to trust in him. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. Amen. Okay, uh, next question. Uh, 21.3, expressions of worship. What expression of worship is appropriate as seen in Romans 12.1? Present your body. Uh, it looks to me like this is something you should probably do in your body, Right. Say, well, I want to have an out-of-body experience and then do it. No, you can't do that because if you have an out-of-body experience, well, I guess you can do it. You'll be in heaven. (laughs) It's the only way to really get out of your body. Uh, But anyway, yeah, uh, present your body as a what? Living sacrifice. What is the problem with the living sacrifice? (laughs) Yeah, we say it has a tendency to want to crawl off the altar. That's right. Uh, that's right. But present your body as a living sacrifice. Again, Paul is a, you know, a man who's been steeped in Jewish teaching here. I mean, worship and offerings went together. Well, now he's saying in the Christian experience, what is the offering? It's us. Now, when you think about sacrifice, what is the idea of a sacrifice? Yeah, and it costs you something, right? It's going to cost you something in this body. You can't just do whatever you want to do. You want to set your body aside and say no to the flesh and yes to God. And that's sacrificial giving as, as a way of life. And, and uh, that's how you are now to present your, your body to God as a living sacrifice. He says, holy, acceptable to God, meaning well-pleasing. Okay, any other thoughts? Let's go on to the next page, if not. Okay, page uh, 150. Uh, in what way are we to serve God as seen in Hebrews twelve twenty eight? Ah, all of those are good. That's true. With grace, with reverence, with godly fear. Right. Um, <clears throat> what, is, what do we mean, Anita? What do you mean when you say with grace? Right. I guess what I'm getting at, like when Paul says to Timothy, be strong in, in the grace of, of our Lord. Uh, well, I thought grace is just unmerited favor. How, how, what do I have to do with that? I, I think it's applying the grace that God provides. 
And, and uh, we know that God gives us everything we need. We just not need now to walk in the good of it. Uh, what about um, reverence? Reverence. What's the idea of reverence? What's that? Yeah. Reverence is really associated with worship. Reverence and worship go together. Godly fear, same thing. Godly awe. Uh, we are to have a proper reverence, awe, fear of God. Okay, next question. What did Jesus teach us about worship in Matthew 6, uh, 5, and 7? There you go. That's it. It's not to be showy or hypocritical. Uh, God's not into performance. He wants the real deal. He wants spirit and in truth. Not, not and boy, it looks like you know, talk about these, these. They blow the trumpets. Uh, look, me, I'm getting ready to give an offering. Do, 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 do. Dwight's now going to give. <laughs> Please. That's so obnoxious to God. People kind of do that sometimes. They want to do it in a sanctimonious type of way. But really, God's not impressed. Um, okay, uh, the call to worship in Psalm 95.6 involves what? Bowing down before God. And kneeling. Okay. Uh, I'm looking for the end of the sentence. Our maker. I, I like that. Because when we think of that, bowing down before our maker, we, we think about him as our creator, right? Yeah, we do. But I like to extend the thought just a little bit. What are you, I mean, if it's any good, that has not been made by God? I mean, we're not self-made people. Anything about us that's good is God, God's our maker. He, he's a, he makes us what we are. And so I'm making that application there. Bow down before God, our maker, certainly our creator. But in terms of, uh, as Paul would say, I am what I am by the grace of God. Okay, in Psalm 96.9, what is the character of true worship? Worship the Lord in? Holy attire. Holy attire. Is that what yours says? Ah, uh, yeah, okay. That, that's, that, that's good. I had to look it up because I was like, what's your whole verse say? Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. Okay, in, in holy attire. Yeah. Uh, I like the King James here. Not that that's not good. It might be more accurate even. What you can say, Coop? Splendor of set apartness. Ah, that's good too. That's, that, that's a little closer to, to my King James, which says the beauty of holiness, right? And worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Uh, what do you suppose the idea is there? Uh, we know what holiness is, right? What is holy? Set apartness. And, and what's that say about God? We say God is holy. What are we saying about God? He, he, is, he is unique. He, he is completely unique. There is none other like God whatsoever. So I think the beauty of holiness is, is valuing that uniqueness. Valu, uh, valuing uh, that he is special like none other. There is no one else like our God. And, and he is beautiful beyond compare. Uh, his holiness. So, so worship the Lord in that sphere. Uh, recognizing him for who he is as, as the very special holy one, uh, the beauty of holiness. I, I like that, recognizing his holiness and, and the beauty that's there. Okay, um, to what end uh, should we do all things is found in 1 Corinthians 10.31. Glory. 
to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, when it says to the glory of God, uh, what is the idea of this, to the glory of God? What, what are we talking about specifically there? Glory can mean kind of generally speaking one of two things. It can refer to uh, splendor, brilliance, brightness. What else? That, that's, one, that's one aspect. What's that? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. The idea of fame or reputation uh, so, uh, or honor. And so when it says do all to the glory of God, I think, you know, we want to do everything to exalt him, to make him famous, as it were. I mean, I'm not making God shine any brighter, right? Uh, no, uh, I'm not. But, but in terms of doing all to the glory of God, I can exalt him. I can, I can enhance his reputation by how I live. That's the idea here. Uh, whatever you do, do all to enhance the reputation of God, to bring glory to him, to make him look good. That's the idea. Um, okay. In matters of worship, what should define how things are done as seen in 1 Corinthians 14, 40? Yeah. And what, what is to be done uh, properly, my, my translation, decently, uh, what is to be done decently and in order? Everything. Right. Well, everything. And he's talking about a worship service here. He's talking to the Corinthians who, you know, had out of control tongue speakers. There was a place for tongues. We're not putting it down. I mean, certainly it, it was a God-given gift and served its purpose in context. But uh, he's saying everything should be done decently and in order. Uh, what was yours again? Decently Properly, ah, that's good. Uh, properly, appropriately. Fitting orderly. Yeah, fitting is good. Uh, orderly, uh, what's the opposite of orderly? Chaos. Chaos, confusion. We don't know what's going to happen here. We're going to have revival. Things are going to get wound up. <laughs> Please, let's keep a little order here. Uh, not out of control. Fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Everything's to be done decently in order. Including Pastor Dwight, he's to be done decently in order. <laughs> okay, uh, next page. Uh, any input there? We got three minutes, so I do have to press it just a little. Twenty-one uh, four. Worship is the ultimate issue. What was Satan's ultimate desire, as seen in Matthew four nine? Yeah. Imagine this. Uh, he, he is uh, wanting Christ uh, to worship him. Uh, you know, boy, that, what, what's that say about the devil? Unbelievable ego. Yeah? Do you think that he really understood that Jesus was fully God? Oh, yeah. It, because it, it would seem so outlandish. Oh, yeah. Totally crazy. Oh, yeah. Uh, Rory, no more outlandish than being in heaven in the very presence of God and deciding you're going to try to bring a revolt and take him down. <laughs> you know what we say about sin, Rory? It never makes any sense, spiritually speaking. But think about the devil. Has he got a lot of options? No, he doesn't. Well, yeah, to, to think that he wants to be in the, really what he wants is what belongs to God. 
Worship belongs to God alone. And the devil says, that's what I want. I want what belongs. Worship me and I'll give you everything. Oh, you see all these kingdoms of the world? It's been given to me and I can give it to whomever I want to. Just worship me and, and, and I'll give it to you. Now, he was wanting, he was wanting what belongs to God. It's due only God. Okay, what ultimately will God bring to pass as found in Philippians 2, 9 through 11? That's right. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess. What? Jesus Christ is Lord. And what were the early Christians pressured to say? Every year they had to make a little offering and say, Caesar is Lord. Christians wouldn't do it, would, would be put to death saying, Jesus is Lord. We don't worship Caesar. We're not into Caesar worship. Jesus is Lord. And one day every, every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess. Okay, uh, the climactic uh, praise word, Alleluia, is reserved for what occasion in Revelation 19, 1 through 6? Right. What's the context there? What has just happened in Revelation 18? The fall of the world system represented by Babylon, which has become the center of Antichrist empire. Uh, the whole world in rebellion against God has come crashing down. And what, what's about to happen? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the king of kings is about to arrive. The Lord of lords. He's on his way. He's coming on a white horse and the armies of heaven are coming with him. I intend fully to be on one of those white horses, preferably towards the front. <laughs> I'll be clear the back sure of the world. Anyway, we're all going to be there as God's people. But what a tremendous thing. This is the prelude to the second coming. Let me read it to you. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power to the Lord our God for true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. And again they said, Alleluia! And her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen! Alleluia! Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the sound of many waters, those deep, deep waters, and as the sound of mighty thunders saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. You know what Hallelujah is? It's the climactic praise word in all of the Bible. We don't find it used anywhere in the New Testament until Revelation 19. It's God saving this word, saving this word. Until this climactic moment, the world system is put down and the king is on his way. Jesus Christ has subdued all. And what is the appropriate response? Worship! The high climactic worship word of Alleluia or Hallelujah. All right. Any other thoughts before we have our memory verse? Anybody memorize? Uh, John's not here tonight. I don't know what happened to John. Oh, he went to Houston. That's right. Uh, anybody memorize John 4, 23, 24? Yeah. Okay, Roy. It's okay. Um, the hour's the coming. The hour's coming when the true worshipers, worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. 
God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Very good. Very good. Yeah, amen. Those are, those are great. Okay, well, next week, uh, lesson number 22, forgiveness and accountability. Talk about a practical lesson. This is a good one. We can, uh, when's the last time you had to forgive somebody? Well, let's not talk about earlier in the day, shall we? Okay. Uh, forgiveness, it just, we just need to be doing this on a regular basis. Let me pray, and we'll be dismissed. Lord, we thank you for uh, our time in the Word tonight, uh, discussing uh, this topic of, of worship. What an almighty God you are, so worthy of our worship. Uh, And uh, Lord, we thank you that throughout all eternity, you will be our God and we will be your people in worship of you. In the meantime, Lord, we are called to be living sacrifices right now, living out lives of worship. It's, It's what makes us different from the rest of the world who are just going about serving and living for self for whatever their false gods are. So, Lord, I pray that we would indeed uh, be bringing fame to you, uh, bringing glory to you in how we worshipfully live out our lives. Give us a good, uh, fruitful, worshipful rest of the week now. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming, everybody. Good to have you here tonight.